Hey everyone, it's John Kerwin here and I'm really excited as this is my podcast called Open Minded. This podcast is interviewing inspirational people from all walks of life. You know, I want to give you the real stuff that's happening every day in the minds of these leaders, how they stay well in high pressure roles, how they build resilience in themselves, how they look after their people and how can you invest in yourself and your people to do mental well-being well. So this is JK and this is Open Minded. So let's go. Well, hi everyone and welcome to this episode where I'm putting the shoe on the other foot. Aha, how good is that? I'm joined by Simon Mundy, who has an amazing career, turning his strengths in journalism into his podcast called Don't Tell Me The Score. And honestly, he is amazing and Don't Tell Me The Score is amazing. He has interviewed some amazing people, sports stars, sports scientists, authors and entrepreneurs on the planet. Wim Hof, I love that guy. Caitlin Jenner, Sir Clive Woodward, Ric Flair, and Boom Boom Becker. Man, remember him? He was awesome. And now Simon is someone who is really self-aware. He puts things into perspective. We discuss lots of things, including kindness, being present, identity, self-talk, and embracing your feminine side. I absolutely loved putting the shoe on the other foot. I think Simon is an amazing man. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining me, mate. You have an absolutely amazing career in podcasts. Obviously, you've been a journalist for a long, long time. You've turned your, turned your sort of strengths in journalism and into the podcast. So, mate, how did all that start? And what does it feel like being on the other end of, of the stick tonight? Well, so I'll take that second question first. Uh, what does it feel like? Uh, well, first of all, it's, it's 7 a.m. here. So I'm looking out my window. It's still dark. Like I said, it's, 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 I haven't had a shirt on this time in the morning for a long time. I'm hoping the five-year-old doesn't come in, storming in. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's funny being on, on this end because normally I have an idea where I want the conversation to go. So, you know, I'm having to be somewhat submissive. Um, but it's cool, you know, it's cool being with you, JK. Like, you know, you, it's, it's ridiculous. As you know, I can see you getting coy already. You don't like me, uh, you know, blowing too much confidence. But, you know, the fact of the matter is to be talking to you again is, is a real privilege. I was thinking, actually, you mentioned Caitlyn Jenner. And um, I went, when I flew to Caitlyn Jenner's house in Los Angeles, I flew by Air New Zealand. Oh, and nice. yeah, and I, so they had the uh, safety demo on the video and you were in it, weren't you? You, you and the rest of the All Blacks. And I remember, and you know, I was immediately drawn to you and I was thinking, oh, that's John Kerwin, you know, because obviously, as I said to you, when I was growing up, um, my father was, is a huge rugby fan. And, you know, we went to the 91 World Cup quarterfinal, semifinal and final, you know, and, and as I said, you know, that, that little part of me before, before we started recording, as I said, you know, that little part of me, that the inner child, you could say, um, you know, he, he was, had you on that pedestal. So to have got to understand your story, and then to be here chatting to you, you know, this is the what the third time we've we've spoken. It is, it's it's super cool, you know. It's it's one of those things, and it's interesting watching my brain how it how it reacts to it. Whether it's like, you know, there's still that part that goes, oh, I, I hope this goes well, and then noticing that and letting that go, and actually thinking, no, enjoy the experience because 
this is uh, you know this is you and then just the fact that we are you know we're on we're on friendly terms that's that's a really cool thing you know that, that you've got to reflect on and 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 say yeah my you know the 10 year old me would be thrilled so that that's so there's a lot of feelings about being here with you jk put it that way and in terms of my my career well um god where to start you know i mean i um i i did do you mind if i tell the long longish story jk of course, mate. We want the long story. The long story. Okay, it's so terms, my man. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, you know, I was always, I was always a talker at school. You know, I always got in, got in a bit of trouble for having a bit of a loose mouth. And you know, they, they, we did one of those sort of psychometric tests, and they said, "What, what do you?" It, it pointed to what they advised people to do, and my mine was very clear journalism, and my passion was was Wimbledon, which is. Oh, I would, yeah, sorry, I'm doing the mirror, but you can see that picture anyway behind my shoulder. My passion was Wimbledon. So I, I ended up going to university, did broadcast journalism. Uh, and then I went traveling after I finished university to Australia, I lived in Australia for a year, came to New Zealand. I was there in 2003 when uh, England won the World Cup, uh, when New Zealand lost in that semi final again. And I remember that, mate. It's just my <laughs> memory. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, the fact that England won something was... Uh, that was, was awesome. I mean, it was incredible. It was a, it shows the power of belief. Johnny That's Wilkinson, a whole other story. Say again? Johnny Wilkinson. Johnny Wilkinson. He's been on the pod and talking, you know, about his journey there yeah. and after that was fascinating, really fascinating. But, you know, I came back traveling and lost my way a little bit. And I, and I worked um, doing some other jobs. I did some salesy type stuff, but I always had this sort of part of me that knew that I was had my ladder up against the wrong wall and um you know some op the universe moves in mysterious ways and some serendipitous stuff happened and I ended up going on a radio station and, and they said oh you're, you know you're not bad and I thought what am I doing you know I trained to do this so um you know in my mid-20s I took a big uh, leap sideways uh, out of sales and and took a big pay cut and went and worked for a small radio station and immediately was just like, okay, I'm in the right place now. I, I'm earning a lot less, but this is my thing, you know? And then from there, things just went quickly. I was really lucky. Again, just things would happen at just the right time. It feels like I've got a bit of a guardian angel looking over me. People would leave jobs just at the right moment. Um, and I got a job, uh, first of all, Radio Wimbledon and, that was that for me was, you know, on the first morning at Radio Wimbledon, again, like I said, talking to you, that little boy who used to love watching Wimbledon sat there on the hill. I was just like, I, I, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm sure it was, you know, I'd love to hear what it was like when you first pull on the all black jersey. You know, it's it's that feeling of God, I, you know, I can't actually believe I'm here. Anyway, fast forward, did that for a few years, worked for the BBC, got a job at the BBC for Radio One, which is the biggest youth radio station in the country um, arguably in the world again you know when i when i worked there i had you know feelings of i'm not good enough for this you know i shouldn't be here they'll find me out soon enough um did that for a few years did some great stuff you know i covered the uh, the olympics in 2012 the world cup in brazil in 2014 andy murray winning wimbledon all these things but what i found was that um i found that I found reporting on sport just, I, I hate to say, it, but just a little bit shallow insofar as I was talking about results and I was talking about um, 
tactics and I was speaking to fans and, and loving the fans element, you know, we, you know, what's it like being at this event? And they're like, amazing. So conveying the energy of events. I loved all that, but you don't, you just scratch the surface. Interviews were three, five minutes long. You do get clips of managers. If I was going into an interview, I would um, be thinking, okay, what is the line that I can get the news line? So, you know, this manager says this guy's rubbish, something that will get in the papers. And, and I just found that a little, a little shallow, whereas my personal interest was in, was really in well-being. I think I was on a bit of a, I know what well, I was on a, a, a well-being journey of my own. I know you've obviously, we've spoken about yours, but, you know, I was really trying to understand myself, understand why I felt certain things understand um you know why i had difficulties in certain areas i was uh, you know i was i had real problems i think particularly around say intimacy um and all these things were sort of going on so in my own personal life i was i was really interested in in well-being in in the even through to the sort of the nature of reality all this kind of stuff it really you know what it means to be human and all that and it just it was going on and on and I just felt that, that I'd love to combine the two and you know I've always thought sport is such a good metaphor for life if I if I'm going and playing tennis tennis is my favorite sport if I'm playing tennis and you know I've got lots of other stressful things going on in my life if I'm playing against someone and I'm serving at four or five down 30 all I can I feel anxious I feel anxiety and nothing else in my life matters. But at that moment, that is the most important thing. And, you know, and it can feel almost, you know, it's, it's so significant. No one cares, but it, that's what my brain is telling me. And so I, 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 I went and I spoke to a, a boss at the BBC who was, um, who, who, again, serendipitously quite liked me. She, she thought I brought a certain energy to my, uh, to my, to my job there. And just pitched the idea of, of doing a podcast that brought sport and, and well-being and life, what sport teaches us about life together and sold it along the lines of that, you know, in this country, there's a real football obsession, soccer obsession. Uh, and I think, you know, you're either you either get that language or you don't. And I, and I think there's a lot of people who perhaps switch off to sport because they feel like they're not part of this, this in language or whatever. But Anyone can learn anything from sport as far as I'm concerned, just from what it teaches us about, whether it be discipline or tribalism or any of these things. And she, she, she loved it. She loved the idea. And she, and she said, yeah, you know, okay, great. And, and she said, what do you like? Do you want to do it on, on the Today program, which is this program Radio 4? I said, no, 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 I'd like a podcast. And she said, fine. I don't think she really understood what a podcast was, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, I got the podcast and that was, uh, that was two years ago. And, um, yeah, since then I haven't missed a week. You know, it's been a hundred and nearly one hundred and twenty episodes, and uh, you know I've had some fascinating conversations. Haven't yet run out of things to talk about. A lot of the same stuff keeps coming up, but yeah, that that's the potted history, J.K. That was a long first answer. Wasn't oh, that's it? awesome. That was that was awesome. The the interesting two interesting things for me that I'm really interested in about you. I mean, you've you've been quite open about your mental health. You just talked about one of your sharks, for example. You know, intimacy all that sort of stuff. I mean, right now, two questions. Really, really hard time for journalists, right? It looks like people are losing their jobs, um, have to reinvent yourself often. So how 
how are you facing those challenges in your industry around you at the moment? And have you done the podcast also to try and learn about you? Um, yes. I mean, I just love having the sort of conversations um, that, that the, like, the likes of which we had. You know, that, to me, those are the conversations I would like to have. I like to have full stop. I can't help but to some degree psychoanalyze myself, my friends, my family. It's, it's, you know, it's what I tend to be drawn towards. I'm a big thinker. My brain's always going and, you know, I'm always trying to understand things. And a lot of my friends would, would kind of come to me, I think, and, and um, ask me, you know, opinions on this kind of thing. You know, it is, it's something that is, you know, a real, a real natural draw. So, you know, I do just feel very lucky. I don't, when I started out or as I do it, I, I don't tend to do the normal journalistic thing, which is think about my audience or who my audience is. Because actually my view is, as with anything, authenticity is really important. And so I, you know, I try and have conversations that I find interesting and then my, my view is that naturally will, that authenticity or that will naturally then resonate with people. Because I think if I think too much about, oh, I should be asking this or should be doing that, it, it, um, you know, it, it might not, it, it doesn't necessarily land, if you like. So, yeah, I, I, I think I have. I've learned a hell of a lot, you know, whether it be about the way um, I talk to myself, about, you know, what's important in life through to, you know, circadian rhythms, sleeping well. I love, I mean, I always quote your, you know, switch your computer off. Now I'm always telling that story, you know, um, you know, your shark stuff. So, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have conversations that allow me to be really present and really engaged. And, you know, I'll, I'll sit there a lot of the time and just think I'm loving this. I'm really loving connecting with, someone full stop and not just someone but someone who i find really interesting and really respect about topics that i think are really important and then obviously on top of that i might get the you know lovely emails from people saying that the podcast has made a real difference to them and that's just a you know an, an incredible privilege so it ticks it ticks a lot of um, a lot of boxes what what was your first question jk it was just how I'm, I'm, I have a lot of friends who are journalists. And oh, yeah, reinventing. Your yeah, sure. Your so, uh, right now is like incredibly difficult, people getting laid off. I mean, how do you mm. face those stresses and anxieties? And what do you do? You change direction, you know, is, is podcast changing direction? What do you do? Well, it's interesting you say that actually, JK, because to be honest with you, I'm in the middle of um, that to the nth degree. I'm, um, I'm, I, I changed the terms of my engagement with the BBC recently. So I was no longer a full-time member of staff and I've, I've changed and I've gone freelance and I'm providing my, the podcast for the BBC, uh, as a supplier through, through my company. And as well, I'm, I'm writing a book, um, based on the conversations I've had and I'm sort of producing other podcasts, but, um, you know, I've taken a bit of a leap. I think that uh, it is, it's a really, it's a really hard time. It's a really interesting time. You know, journalism is, is, is definitely under attack, but 
there's that sort of stoic idea, isn't there, that within any difficulty, there is opportunity. And one thing that I've, um, one of the themes that continually comes up is around taking risks. So, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of taking a big risk. So I'm, I'm, I am going to be probably, you know, breaking news, um, you know, the one in the, don't know whether to share this or not, but potentially changing how I provide my podcast. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 a, it, I have to say, JK, at the moment, it's, it's a stressful time. Um, I've, I've actually found that even some of the stuff with the book is not what I thought it was in terms of deals I had in place. So I've got, I've got a hell of a lot going on and, um, how do I deal with it? You know, I just, I just, I'm very fortunate that my, my other half is, um, she is very, very supportive and she's also, she works in publishing herself. So she, um, she works for hello magazine and she is an amazing, uh, writer and editor. So I, you know, I really, I, I lean on her. I try and live in daytime capsules, you know, one a bit like you just one day. It's, it's, I know that the mind can leap forward and think, um, this is going to go wrong. That's going to go wrong. And, and, and I think just watching out for that. So I try and sort of live in, in daytime, um, capsules and, and then, as, as well, just try and relate to, to my thoughts differently and, and understand that thoughts are not based in reality. You know, I think that's, that's been a, that's something I'm really fascinated by is, you know, what are thoughts and, and the impact they have in terms of our identity, the way we sort of see the world and, and just, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I, I just try and have a bit of faith, a bit of faith that, that things will work out and, and that there's, you know, there's bigger forces at play and, and that, you know, I, from my, if I look at my life, if, if when I've taken a path that, that turns out to have been one that has been valuable to me, for example, getting back into journalism, things have had, tended to slightly fall in place. So I, I just try and have faith that, um, that things, things will work out and just, you know, do, do one thing at a time. But some, you know, some days are, are much more stressful and hard than the others. And, it's still a work in progress for sure. You know, like I think of you and you, you know, you talk about how your sharks occasionally will come up when you're not looking after yourself. And I, I think I could certainly improve in that area. You know, I'm still not great. I, I push myself too hard. I don't think I'm as kind to myself as I could be. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I, that, I, was, I, that was awesome. But so it was really interesting to you know I, i'm i'm starting to do a few of these podcasts right and um full of self-doubt i mean jk what are you doing you idiot like um and i know that when you have spoken to a lot of your guests and you're one of the best so you've got one of the highest rating podcasts i mean do you ever sit there and doubt yourself thinking what are you doing simon i mean and and what do you do with those thoughts to to control them um all the time is the answer. Yeah, you know, all the time, for sure. I think sometimes, it, you know, my my process for preparing for a podcast, it, it, you know, I'm, I am thorough with my preparation. And, you know, I enjoy doing you knew, research. You knew, you knew more about me than I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I loved, I loved, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, JK, I, had, I hadn't realized why you had been knighted. I knew you were Sir John Cohen, but I hadn't realized why. So finding that out was, was fascinating. But I, I'm very thorough with my preparation. 
And then I think, you know, how I feel is, is a key element of it. If, I've, if I'm feeling calm and relaxed and, um, oh, I can hear my little, the little one's just woken up. Uh, if I'm feeling calm and relaxed and, you know, letting go in that kind of, okay, surrender, if you like, then, then I sort of have faith that things will work out. But, but oftentimes I don't feel like that. Or sometimes the connection isn't quite right. Sometimes I haven't had a chance to do as much prep as, as I would like. And then those thoughts pop up. But I, I think, um, like I said, I'm fascinated by, by thought it, because um, sort of Eckhart Tolle, who, I, who I'm a big fan of. Do you know Eckhart Tolle? Yes, yeah, so Eckhart Tolle, right? You know, he says the, the liberation that one can find when you realize you, know, you are not that voice in your head. And understanding that when you're under pressure or, or when you're in the spotlight, when I'm coming onto something like this, when I'm going on the radio, that amygdala part of my brain will, the danger seeking part will start acting like a burglar alarm and start flashing, which will then mean that the, the hormones will start hitting my, what is it? Uh, you'll know better than me, JK, a part of my brain that means those thoughts will come. And I think, um, a really important or, or valuable thing for me is, is just understanding that, that we are not our thoughts. And mm. then that sort of begs the question, well, what are we? And that, that I'm really interested in, you know, and that was something that, that, that Johnny Wilkinson uh, and I spoke about, and I think is actually um, an area that, the, that is going to become a really um, big, profound, popular question over the next five, 10 years. I think that's my prediction. I think it started with mindfulness 10 years ago. So how do I do it? Well, so there's a technique, um, a sort of mindfulness technique called acceptance and commitment training, which I found to be fantastic. And it's all about how you relate to your thoughts. So just to dig back into, into my story a little bit. So when I was in my, in my mid twenties, I'd suffered a really bad bout of insomnia. Um, I think I, my nervous system is, I would say, is not the most robust. You know, I, I, I can get knocked off a little bit. And, you know, I'll admit that, which has its pros and its cons. And um, so I, 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 get, I developed insomnia and, and I did all the things that, you know, the, um, the Internet and people will say. So I, I got lavender on my pillow and I started <laughs> taking this and having hot milk and all this, all this stuff. Right. And, and it didn't work. And I was and I would. I was starting to fear bed, right? And I, I would go, I'd be looking, you know, the back of my mind all day would be, oh, I hope I sleep tonight. I hope I sleep tonight. And as I got closer to, to, to bed and I'd be doing everything and, and then I would go into the bedroom and get in bed and my heart would start going. You know, my, I, I was scared of my bed, which is not a good place to be. And, and I, um, I, basically found this guy called Dr. Guy Meadows, who I've interviewed on the pod. And he introduced me, this was, this was, you know, over a decade ago. And he introduced me to, to mindfulness and, and this acceptance and commitment training. And he gave this wonderful, well, he pointed something out that it's so easy to overlook, which is that we have the part of us that, that thinks, you know, we call it the mind, you know, thoughts come and go. And then we have that part of us that is aware of the thoughts. And, you know, no thought ever stays, you know, thoughts arise and they disappear. Thoughts arise, disappear. You could say the same with perceptions, perceptions, what we perceive, nothing stays the same, but the awareness itself 
is always there. It's always present. It's in the background, but we overlook it because it has no objective qualities. So that for me was like, whoa, mind blown. Okay. Oh, so I'm not my thoughts. So that was the first thing. And then he gave me this, this powerful technique to use when I was struggling with sleep, which was if I have a thought that pops up in the middle of the night or as I'm trying to go to sleep saying, I'm not going to sleep or tomorrow is going to be horrendous. I'm, you know, I'm going to have bags under my eyes and I'm going to be a mess. Then is to notice that thought from that place of awareness and then just add in front of it a prefix. I am having the thought that. So it would go, I am having the thought that I'm not going to sleep well. I am having the thought that I'm um, going to be rubbish tomorrow. And in doing that, it, it untangles you from the thought. And also after that, I would come into my feeling. So I would, I would uh, feel my face on the pillow and I would, um, you know, perhaps bring my attention to my breath or whatever. But he, that also powerfully would send a message to my amygdala that, that this thought about not being actually, it's not a threat. And so over time, my amygdala learned that bed and the thoughts I had about bed were not a threat. And, and over time, my, my sleep improved. Um, so that technique, though, is something that I could apply in, in any area. So I remember um, when I was doing uh, London 2012, uh, Super Saturday, very famous day here in the UK, because it was the day that um, there were three gold medals won within about two hours in the Olympic Stadium in London. And I was um, I was doing a, a report for TV and it was the first time I was doing a live report for TV. And, and I could feel this anxiety rising in me. OK, the thoughts coming on. Like, what if I what if I don't say the right thing? And what if this goes wrong? And this and, and I, I wasn't particularly adept at the time of, of, of using this t- technique in a, in a different way. So I was trying to get rid of this feeling of anxiety. I was trying to push it away or ignore it. And obviously that doesn't work. You know, if you, if you don't, if you, if you do anything, you're essentially what resist, what you resist persists, that old thing. And this anxiety just grew and grew and grew and, and threatened to overwhelm me. You know, I was, I, w- I was probably shaking like a leaf before I went up. Fortunately, as is often the case, the adrenaline kicks in and I was, I was fine. Um, I got through it and no one would have known, but the experience was not a pleasant one. So in, when I reflected though, what I did was I learned the hang on a sec i need to marry these two things together so i when i had those thoughts for example you know what if this this broadcast goes badly and i will still have that now what i'll do is i'll notice that and and add that prefix in oh i'm having the thought that this is going to go badly and welcome those thoughts in and as a result you know send a message to my clueless amygdala who can't recognize split one thing from another that this is not a threat and, and as a result, you know, I, you're, I'm actually able then to, to sort of reframe it into it's, it's um, you know, th- this is something to enjoy. It's like coming on today. OK, th- th- of course, there were thoughts in the morning of like, God, you know, it's early. I, I haven't had any breakfast. And what if I forget who I've spoken to? I'm having the thought about all these things and just notice, let it go. Bring yourself back into the present. Feel my bottom on the seat. Let go. Surrender and see what happens. You know, surrender the control. That's a key thing. I think I'm I'm smiling because it sounds so much like some of the things that I went through, especially with my mental health around sleeping and stuff. I got told once 
um, I can't remember by who, but they said, you should always challenge your thoughts because they lie to you. <laughs> and so often, and I think the other thing that, that, that highlighted um, for me was you probably got two things going on. So you recognize your thoughts, but also you've got the preparation behind you. Because I often think people say to me, you know, is it one thing? I say, no, often it's a few things. So when my mind lies to me, I question it. Are you lying to me? You know, and the second thing is I will succeed because actually I've prepared or however you come to um, make peace with how you do things. I think that's also very important. So uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you is all these amazing people you've interviewed, has there been a common thread around their wellness and their success? Is there something that in your opinion, after doing all those interviews, you go, wow, yeah, okay. They seem to have this in common or no? Um, just before I answer that, I just want to say about the preparation thing. I, just very quickly, a, a line that popped in my head that a few people have said, which is a common theme, is that preparation is confidence. Sam Warburton, you know, Wales captain, he said that. Clive Woodward said that. Ben Ainsley, Britain's greatest sailor, said that. You know, preparation is confidence. It's that feeling of, okay, I've done enough. And that's how I feel with the podcast is I'll just sit down and I'll, I'll be researching, researching. And then at some point, bang, I'm like, I've done enough. And even if, even if I'm having my worst day, I know that I've done enough. So first of all, I think preparation uh, is, is confidence. You know, I think in terms of my guests, it, it, it's a funny one um, because I think that I think top level sport is is interesting because it's so it's so demanding and so all encompassing, and in a way lacks lacks a certain balance. And then also, it's um, it, you know people are because of the society in which we live in where celebrity is very important sports people are now celebrities and so you know in my industry of, of broadcasting if you're successful you get known as talent and if you get known as talent then you get treated as talent i'm sure you know what it's like jk you know you're a you're, you know you're a you you'd certainly fall in this bracket you know what it's like like people treat you differently i'm sure to a certain degree and i think um some, something I've realized is that the number of sports people who struggle when they retire and because I think, you know, being a top sports person, your career is, is relatively, is relatively short. So, you know, if you're lucky now, mid thirties, something like that, you know, and you're still a young, you know, you're still really young at that age and all of a sudden your identity to some degree is gone. And so th this has certainly been an, an interesting theme and also something I've observed, you know, as a sports reporter myself. And there was some interesting research that says something like 50 percent of, of elite athletes struggle with their mental health when they retire. There are various reasons for that. It's, it's been suggested, you know, whether it be the routine and, um, you know, the, the support they get. But a, a really big part of it is around identity. And, you know, there are a couple of people that spring to mind. So Johnny Wilkinson was one and Jamie Peacock is another. So Jamie Peacock, I'll start with Jamie Peacock. So he, um, he was the British rugby league captain. 
and he he was he was quite rare and i spoke to him fascinating guy lovely guy really humble just a really great guy really good ep- one of my favorite episodes not quite as good as the one with you jk but it's top 10 <laughs> all right and so he he You're a good uh, liar <laughs> jk i'm always i'm always pushing our episode i promise you jk um and he he i said to him you know why do you think that you were able to transition out of sport so well. And he said, it, you know, there are, there are two things. First of all, to understand that as a sports person, you, you're learning some really valuable skills that are applicable in everyday life. So, you know, as, as when he was playing a rugby team, in his rugby team, if he came up against a stronger team, he would, he would, he would be having to solve a solution. You know, he's having to think, okay, this team are expected to win. So how are we going to solve this solution? How are we going to, you know, work this out? So there are skills around problem solving, but also around reflection, around, um, you know, being honest with yourself about your performance, all those type of skills that are actually some people overlook that can be applied in so many areas. So that was one thing. But then the other thing that he said that really struck me was around identity. He said he never, ever looked in the mirror and said, you know, I am Jamie Peacock, the rugby player. He would say, I am, I'm Jamie and I play rugby. So it was just something, it was something he did. It was never his identity. And I think that this is a, you know, a really, um, a really significant point is, you know, I don't know what it's like. Well, I'm sure it's similar in New Zealand, but what the first question anyone gets asked a dinner party, certainly here, or in conversation, or one of the first is, you know, what do you do? So all of our identity is bound up in 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 what we do. A lot of cases, and obviously that's particularly the case with with sports people because they're they're held in such high regard. Um, so I think the degree to which people associate with their with their role, I think that is that's really significant. And so some people have been able to to really move through that and, and just take the lessons from what they've learned from their sport and, and move uh, seamlessly through. But a lot of people, whether I've spoken to or I observe, you know, really sort of get stuck in the past. You know, that perhaps there are a lot of pundits, you know, I know you're a pundit, but you've got various other hats, right? But there are a lot of pundits I see around who are still, you know, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that did something 10 years, 20 years ago. Um, and J- Johnny Wilkinson, he, he's got a, he and I share a love of fermenting. So I make kefir and he makes kombucha and stuff. And he's got a company called Number One Kombucha. And it, the story behind it, I think it's really interesting because it's, so it's N-O dot one, number one, spelt like that. And he said, you know, it's got two parts to it, which is that by all means, you know, strive to be number one, strive to be number one. But if you remove that dot, you're no one. And I think that's, <laughs> Yeah, it's really powerful because, you know, it's separating who you are from what you do and the degree to which you're able to do that. So if I think Will Carling, I'm sure you played against Will, right? So Will, when he when he retired, he had a rough time because he, he was, you know, he was, you know, he was a bit of a cad. He was seen as a bit of a cad. There were various, um, you know, stories in the press around around his, you know, his private life. So he had a really rough couple of years, but actually it ended up being a bit of a blessing because he said it, it completely sucked the air out of his ego. And, and as a result, now he, he's got no rug, very little rugby memorabilia. He's like, no, that was then. That was fun. The relationships I had were great and I still have my friendships, but that was then. I, I'm, not, I'm not clinging on to this past identity and his new identity. You know, it's around the businesses he does, but also 
you know, his family is, is so important to him. Mike Brearley, who was the England captain, uh, cricket captain, he was, um, as soon as he retired, he became a top psychoanalyst. He rose to the, he was president or chairman or whatever it was of the British Psychoanalytical Society. So he, he again, he left that identity behind and he moved on. But it's the ones who I think who struggle, who, whose identity is so bound up in what they do, that seems to be a, a court be problematic one, once people retire. And, and is also perhaps why, you know, it goes to their head in, while they're playing, perhaps to a certain degree. So I think, you know, that identity, that question of identity is, is really significant. I uh, had to make peace with my ego because I think, and, and I see this a lot, and especially, um, you know, when people say to me, you know, you're an all black and all that sort of stuff, I judge people who are the best as all black. So I see all blacks, you're, the, you're, you're an all black for me because you strive, you're, you've got a successful podcast. You know, I, I meet business leaders that are, for me, all blacks. And I think uh, an all black for me, if you take it off the rugby field, is someone that that you know, striving to be the best they can be every day. They prepare properly. They want to be world's best. But I also think that you've got to let go of your ego at some stage. And you know, talking about, um, you know, when I was probably pre my, uh, you know, my mental health challenges, I was incredibly confident, but I was also incredibly grumpy if I played badly, right? So my emotion would go up with how I was actually performing, right? And I don't know, are you the same? Like you, you, you are now in a situation where you might get off a podcast with, with, with me or someone else and people don't like it or you get criticised. I mean, do you, do you separate your identity from your work or how do you do that? Because I know that's one of the problems that rugby, you know, who, people who suffer after sport, like you just said, suffer from that sort of, I'm attached to my performance. I mean, the truth is, yes, yes, I do. You know, I do get affected if I if I think that I have not um, done particularly well. Look, I would say a pattern of mine that I've had to come to to peace with. You know, you talk about, you know, I remember we've spoken about making peace with the past, and I know where the self criticism or that that judgmental voice comes from. You know, I, I can I can tell from the tone of voice exactly who it is and where it comes from. Right. So, um, you know, it does pipe up and then it's the degree to which I um, I allow I kind of go along with that, you know, and I think that part of that is um, is is what you talk about in terms of um, looking after myself. So if I'm if I'm tired and I'm overworked, then I'm more susceptible to falling for that voice. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking after myself, I'm not, but, you know, I, I do think that I'm good at understanding that um, our intrinsic identity, our intrinsic value, our intrinsic value as, as people, human beings, beings that, that the key element of it is, um, it's unchangeable and it is um, it, no, you can't increase your intrinsic value or decrease it by what you do. You can, you can improve your behavior. You can improve your, what you um, contribute to the, to the world. 
and you can improve your your how kind you are to other people and to yourself you can do all these things but that that's all behavior but what but who we are can't be the value of us can't be altered up or down and this is i think what johnny wilkinson was getting at when he said you know number one no, no one and no number one strive to be your best but know that it never ever makes you better or worse than anyone else and the analogy i always use is it's like when babies pop out right you know if you lined up three babies next to each other you know you, you wouldn't and they're they're obviously lovable and um you know absolutely perfect as they are there's nothing wrong you know you don't look at a baby and think yeah cute they're, you know they've got a lovely innocence about them but you know what what has he or she done what when you know what have they done you know <laughs> you know you don't do that it's only later that we start doing that so i think i do understand that um that our intrinsic value is um is is innate and there's this there's, so there's a really interesting guy called albert ellis and he came up with this thing called rational emotive behavioral therapy and and this was a really, one of my favorite podcasts i did two there was a, a a woman who did iron man called lucy gossage one of the best british uh, iron man athletes and i also spoke to her psychologist and through them i it was about self-talk and, and the role that belief plays and through them i got introduced to to albert ellis and rebt and this is all about um it's slightly different from that noticing your thoughts and then you go it's it's like what you said that challenging your thoughts so most people are a to c thinkers a is an activating event okay something happens right i have a bad podcast okay and or, or uh, it doesn't go quite right i get off and or let's say that the tone of the voice of the person at the end of the uh, podcast i perceive it to be disgruntled and then as a result i feel stressed anxious so that's c which is the consequence now most people are a to c thinkers they think that the activating event leads to the consequence but in the middle there's a b which is the belief and then that tends to relate to you know how we think about ourselves and this guy albert ellis so it's, it's really it's a fascinating ideology and it's basically the the first cognitive behavioral therapy but he he talked about uh, radical self-acceptance. So striving to do and be your best, but whilst accepting yourself completely and fully. And, and there were various, um, I think the, the three sort of beliefs that, that underpinned, as far as he concerned, um, all the other negative beliefs were three beliefs. So one was that we need acceptance, uh, we need approval from other people. And if we don't get it, we will be worthless or we will suffer or whatever okay so that's number one other people should always treat us well and if they don't they deserve to be punished mm. and the world <laughs> and the world the and the world should be or life should be easy and you know um, stress-free and flow and all that kind of stuff and, and a lot of us hold you know one of these three things and i know like mine's definitely i have a bit of one around god why is it so hard but also um around approval you know so yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I um, that, that, that has been really, really interesting. So I'm getting much better at separating what I am or, or who I am from, from, from what I do. And, you know, that comes back to that whole, what I was saying about being and being that awareness, you know, and um, so I'm getting better at it, but I'm a work in progress, JK. Yeah, we all are. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of it, you know. And I think another thing talking about sports people, unfortunately, our careers are over in our mid-30s. 
right? And everyone else is on this longer journey. But I just want to get back to the A, B, and C because it really resonated with me how you look at the, you know. So what what's the technique around the B? Is that how you short circuit? So what is that? So, okay, so I'm trying to think of an example because something happened. So okay, something happened um, the other day. So I think okay. So someone who likes my podcast, I'll be honest here, okay, someone who likes my podcast on Twitter had tweeted about another podcast that's popped up and it's, it's got a, a not hugely dissimilar um, sort of method behind it, the way, of, the way it looks at stuff. You know, I'm not saying that they nicked my idea, but anyway, um, and this guy had written this, this tweet sort of complimenting, really complimenting this other podcast. And on it was a guest of mine or a guest who I'd previously had on and, and someone who, who I've spoken to for the book. And I'm having a few complications regarding the book in terms of getting permissions. I'll just say that, which is a bit of a headache going on at the moment. So then I saw, I saw this tweet and, and then I started to feel a bit, stressed i noticed myself feeling stressed and i thought okay so what's really going on so i seen the tweet which is this activating event and and the c is the 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 anxiety so i thought okay what do i believe about this and, and my belief was oh the, the this podcast is is going to get um all the best guests now you know instead of me even though i've had this person on and then as well this this person isn't going to want to isn't going to want to give their approval to be in my book, having, having spoken to. And I, and I start to sort of think, okay, um, then you, actually what you do is, so it's A, B, C, D, E. So D is the disputing bit. Okay. So you, I've under, uncovered some of the belief around this isn't going to happen. That's not going to happen. And then the D, the D is the disputing bit. And then the E is the new effect. Okay. So then, so I've, I've, I've had a thing, A pop, tweet, C anxiety, B belief that this is this is going to impact me in some way. Okay, but and what does that also say about me? It means it means that I, I think the world should be conform to what I want. Okay, you know things don't necessarily go that way. Also that um, you know this I'm not going to get approval. Oh, I, oh, there's something there around approval. Okay, so then then you start getting into rational or ish, irrational beliefs. Okay, you know are, are these facts? Is, is the, are these true? And, and, you know, I've no idea whether this person will definitively give me his approval to be in the book or not. I hope he will. Um, you know, my track, I look back and I think my track record, hang on, I've got some great guests. I never would have believed I would be speaking to JK and Caitlyn Jenner and Johnny Wilkinson and Boris Becker, all this stuff. Hang on. You know, the, the track record suggests that, that I'm going to be fine in terms of getting guests. Okay, let's not just, just fall for this. And I went through this whole process of sort of challenging it. And as a result, boom, the, you know, the, the disputing of the belief, the consequence of the anxiety, yeah, it, it, it completely reduced. And, it, and I had a far more rational, uh, a rational way of looking at things. The way, I would, the way I would describe it for me is... So you didn't like drive bring, over there and beat the hell out of them because that was, <laughs> wasn't that one of your theories? <laughs> that he's big, first of all, he's bigger than me, JK, so I wouldn't fancy my chances. But, um, but it was almost to me like bringing an... I would describe it as like having an, an, an adult, like an, an inner adult. How would I speak to a little girl? How would I reassure her when she has these irrational fears around, um, you know, someone she's watched in a cartoon that's going to come and get her in her bedroom? How do I speak to her 
And how do I explain that to her? That same inner voice that's, that suddenly just gets fired up and panicked, bringing that same adult energy to it and, and working through the beliefs and disputing it and coming out with a new feeling and, and reassuring it and, and giving it some evidence and some facts rather than this just leap to the negative catastrophizing conclusion. Does really, that make sense? Yeah, no, totally makes sense. And it and really resonates because I was talking to a business leader the other day and he was discussing a, a, a particular issue that he was having. And I said, well, what advice would you give to someone who came and saw you? <laughs> you know, and often when we internalize stuff, we just create all these complications where if you came, you know, if you had to come to me with that, I probably would have said, well, listen, Simon, you know, you've done a great job, mate. You know, you got all these guests and, you know, who cares, right? Or whatever. So that, I think those things are really important that, you know, you've just got to sometimes say, what advice would I give to myself? <laughs> can, I, can I just tell you a, little, a very little story of someone I spoke to, um, again, in the world of rugby, Nigel Owens, okay? Oh, great, so man. Nig amazing guy. So I interviewed Nigel Owens at the Hay Literary Festival. And um, obviously, as you, I'm sure you know his story, but he, yeah. uh, he, you know, he tried to take his own life because uh, he couldn't accept his, his sexuality. And then in terms of him coming out, it's, it's had this huge impact on other people. And he told me this story about how he basically, um, him, him coming out had had this huge impact on a young guy in particular who heard his story, had, had tried to take his own life. And, you know, his parents were worried sick, they had no idea. And then one day they were all sat around the kitchen table. And I think maybe his uncle had said, oh, you know, Nigel Owens is refereeing the World Cup final. And Oh, he's he's gay, and I mean that's you know great, you know you know really made a, not a big deal of it, and this kid went and googled Nigel Owens and found his story, and after the back of that he came downstairs and he said, "Mum and Dad, you know I've got something to tell you. The reason I was going to take my own life was because because I'm gay like Nigel Owens," and they were then able to say right. you know son you know this does this doesn't matter at all you know we love you and, and everything like this and, and resolved it and this this woman sent nigel owens a letter saying thank you very very much now when nigel and i were talking nigel used this language where he was like i will never forgive myself for what i put my parents through in terms of taking trying to take my own life i will never till the day i die be able to forgive myself and i said to nigel if that little, if that boy said to you, I can't forgive myself for trying to take my own life, what would you say to him? Mm. And he said, he said, well, you know, so you've got to sort of forgive you, you know, you've got to forgive yourself. And you could see these, you know, the, 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 the cogs turning in his head and it became really obvious. And it's such a, it, it so speaks to this, doesn't it? That we are so much tougher on ourselves than we ever would be for anyone else. And, like you say, when people come to me, I'm, I'm good at giving them advice, but turning it inward, that's the challenge. And that's, I think, developing that kind of inner adult is, um, it, you know, it's, that's an ongoing thing, but definitely something that, that is incredibly valuable. And look, what I, what I often say is that we now need the tools and techniques like what we're talking about. We're talking about cognitive behavior therapy. We're talking about, you know, emotional training. I, I advise everyone to give them a go because they are so good and yet we don't talk about them or 
or say that we should be doing them. And I don't know why. We should be teaching every one of our kids these things because totally. how long, I mean, I'm older than you. It's taken me, you know, and like you say, it's still a journey, but so, even today, sometimes my sharks will come back and I have to keep course, them. Yeah, so, yeah, to I totally agree. But it's interesting how these conversations, I think it is starting to, 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 to come on a lot. And, and I think with COVID, you know, a lot of people, it's right. The, the narrative obviously is that it's a bad thing. And I understand, you know, a lot of people have died. Businesses are being affected. It's, it's a real challenge for sure. But I think who knows what the long-term impact might be. There may be some positives to come from it in terms of people reflecting on what's important. And one woman I spoke to, she, she was a school teacher and she retrained to be a, a psychologist. Uh, she was the one actually introduced me to this Albert Ellis um, stuff. And she retrained to be a psychologist in her 40s. And she, um, you know, we spoke about this on the podcast. And she told me, she emailed me yesterday and said, how many people have been getting in touch with her saying that that part of her story really resonated, that they are thinking that they really want to, to go in a different direction. And psychology and, and this kind of stuff, understanding ourselves, what's important, the brain seems to be a real a real theme. If you think about it, 10 years ago, mindfulness, who, who spoke about mindfulness? And now it's everywhere. So I'm, I'm optimistic yeah. for the future. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a word, but like Google, you know, and, and Uber, like the yeah. words that we just didn't use <laughs> 10 years ago. Imagine, imagine if my poor old dad, you know, came back from, a, from his grave, he'd be going, what's going on here, son? Yeah, right? yeah absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But tell I totally me, agree. Tell me about leadership. Across all your um, interviews, you know, I think we've spoken to some amazing leaders. So what are some of the tips that you've taken out of the interviews around leadership and how you lead yourself and others? I think I think kindness is 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 really important. Um, I think that, you know, I think we all know this from our own experiences that when you have, whether it be a teacher, a boss, um, a teammate who genuinely cares about you and is interested in you, the person, then that makes a, you know a huge, huge difference. And so there's a guy I spoke to last week, a guy called Nigel Pearson, who's a football manager. His reputation actually was around being um, being a bit bolshy because he could be a bit arsy with with the with the media. But his players loved him. His players absolutely loved him. And he created this, you know, they, so many of them say that he treated them like, like his children insofar as, you know, he, he really would, he would care. He would size them up. What does this person need? Does this person need a squeeze on the shoulder? Does this person need to be left alone? But he, he genuinely cared about people. That was his top value. Um, that's not to say he was a pushover. He, he had really, you know, high standards that he demanded. So again, it's like being, a, it was like being a parent, you know, he set boundaries around what he expected, but he, he cared. You could say he loved the people. Right. And, and because of that, he created this is a very, a very famous, probably arguably the most famous sports story in the last 10 years uh, outside of like Wimbledon and that was Leicester city winning the premier league in 2016. No one fancy. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Right. And, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people from from the team. Psychologists are there, um, various people. And they all say it was all down to the closeness of the of, of the guys and the 
you know, they were greater than the sum of their parts because they were like a, they were like a family. And they all say that this guy, Nigel Pearson, who wasn't actually the manager at the time, he'd been sacked just before they went on this run. But it was him who created that environment that enabled them to flourish. And, and I think the absolutely key thing is that, that he, you know, for want of a better word, he, he loved them. He, he, he really cared about them as people. So that well-being element was, was front and center. And, you know, I, I know from companies that I've worked at or bosses that I've worked at that, that you don't feel that's the case. You, you, don't, you don't give your best of those people. Whereas if you have someone who, who sees, sees you, for want of a better word, sees you and, and hears you and, and accepts you and challenges you and, and sees the person and not just, okay, what is the output I can get? I think that is an absolutely sort of integral thing. You know, there are other things as well, of course. Clive Woodward, just quickly. Sorry, yeah, you look like you're going to say something, JK. No, no, carry on. So, so Clive Wood, Clive. So, so Clive, you know, he talks about it being very much a, a two-way street. Um, I think in terms of, you know, he talks about teachability and um, what was the other one? Coachability. Take coachability and you know having being a rock or a sponge, and it, it, it needs to be that two-way process. You know, to what degree Martin Johnson was was absolutely integral to that as well. Um, who, who knows? But you know, if if I had to say, I think it's it's that Jurgen Klopp. So I've just written a bit on my book actually about this very quickly. J.K. Jurgen Klopp. I think Jurgen Klopp is a bit like Nigel Pearson. He, he's perhaps more so than Nigel Pearson. He seems to me like he's kind to himself. He he has he has really high standards, but he he. Um, he doesn't chastise himself too bad when things go wrong. He he look he separates who he is from the behaviour, and then he treats you know his team and and he's obviously got this amazing, charismatic individual personality through which he's able to channel it. But he he cares about his players and his team, and as a result, they are they feel there's a sort of safety that they feel to be able to express themselves, to be able to go out and and take risks. You know, the young guys have really thrived under him. So creating that environment where it's like, look, you give me your best and I will support you. You take take risks, you know, be true to yourself. Go, go and express yourself um, and, and you have my full support. But what, what I demand of you or what I need from you is for you to give me everything you've got. But you do that and I've totally got your back. And to me, that that is a, a, a theme that sort of come through that I think is really you know, the, the human element, the human element of, of caring. Why, why do you think there's a perception out there? And I think it's a perception that it's dangerous because people who get into positions of power um, feel that they have to be tough or they have to be, you know, that grumpy bastard or whatever that is, you know. So what, because it's, it's generally in the teams I've been in, it's not true. No. Um, do you know it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think uh, the way I'd answer this would be to say that that um, takes sport and politics. So you're prime minister, okay? So I would suggest that she's um, an evolved leader. It, it, I've had this conversation with Dr. Pippa Grange, who was this, this, uh, one of the top psychologists for the England football team, got them over their fear of penalties and took them to a good place. And she cited Jacinda as as an evolved leader, as in someone who consults those around them and but wants to take people with her and, you know, creates a consensus, will we'll ultimately make the decision, but takes takes people with her. And then, as we know, there are lots of 
shall we say, populist or strong, strong men type leaders in the world at the moment. And, and I would say that, that, you know, there's an element of that's the old way. And what I find interesting in sport is that um, the narrative around winning and winning at all costs is being challenged currently. And I think part of that is down to the fact that the number of women playing, you know, playing sport and or, or the, the media coverage of women's sport is, is increasing. So it's, it's almost like the feminine is coming in. You know, so it's not just this kind of macho masculine stuff that's obviously been front and center, you know, in, in the worldwide culture for, for so long that the, the feminine is rising up. And, and you need that, I think, in, as, a, as a bit of a balance. And I hope that more even within ourselves, JK, do you have a feminine? Do you have a feminine side to you? I, I, mean, I, had, you... I had three older sisters. I'm the youngest. Yeah, the, right? right. That's why I've got so 150 you... pair of shoes, mate. <laughs> yeah, you're all, you always scrub up well, for sure. I thought there'd be something in that. So I've got I an think, older... I think, um, I think if you actually ignore your feminine, feminine side, um, it's dangerous. I think... Oh, totally. We all, we all have a feminine side, I believe, emotionally. Um, and so I think when you try and repress that or if you're scared of it, that's when you start trying to be something you're not. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't agree more. I really, you know, I went back to my, um, I went back to my uh, old school for a reunion recently. And when I was there, it was an all boys school uh, until girls in the sixth form. But since I left, it became co-education. And I, I asked the teachers what, what change they saw. And they said that, you know, when I, when I was at school, it, you would get rewarded by your peers for badly behaving. You know, I was very mouthy, right? So, you know, if you're the smart guy in class, everyone laughs and, you know, you've got a certain status. But, you know, I don't think the same is necessarily true. I, I hate to generalize, but I don't think the same is necessarily true in girls. And so I asked these teachers what difference they'd noticed. And they said what they noticed was the, the boys have become better behaved and the girls have become somewhat less anxious. So I think, you know, you need that balance. And, and I think that, you know, within, within men and within society, the, the, the rise of the feminine is, you know, is a, is a good thing. And hopefully then what you talked about in terms of this need to be bullshit and whatever else, that will slowly sort of go away. And I think there are positive signs, like I said, with, with Jacinda, you know, she's a new style of leader. And hopefully we'll see, we'll see more of that you know, it's not, it's not zero sum squash the opposition. It's more like, yeah, compete, but take people along, along with us. You know, we're all in this together. COVID showed us that, right. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, it's not like one country, the another country, we're all in this together and we need that cooperative outlook. If you could take all those interviews and then you've got uh, a room full of leaders, what would you tell them to implement around well-being as business leaders? I would possibly say, you know, I just would say it's 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 people first. I think, you know, if if you it's it's got to be people first. You know, what is it? I think it's Bhutan is the only country that doesn't doesn't um, gauge their the value of their society on gross domestic product. They actually try and gauge it in terms of happiness, in terms of well being. And I think, you know, like I said, if if I remember at school, the teachers who, who saw me, as in saw past the naughty, you know, the naughty. 
the lippy, the pain in the arse, all that stuff that I would be get, getting sent out of class. The ones who were able to see through that, there was one geography teacher who I'd be messing about in class and he'd just write up on the board, Simon is here. And he goes, Simon, it's fine. We see you. We see you. We know you're here. And, and, and you know, and they just shot me down. And I, and I loved him for that. You know, yeah. I was like, I'll work hard for you now. Right. And, and I, so I just think, you know, the top value I think of if, if, so I've just set up my own company and, and if I get to the point where I grow it and, um, you know, hire people, I'd like to think that the top value will be, will be the people rather than, you know, if, if you, I, I know from my own experience, I'm sure lots of people understand this being part of a company and just feeling like you're there as capital, as, as something to provide output. And, and therefore, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you're judged like machinery. We judge machinery in terms of the output it produces. I don't think we should judge people in terms of the output they produce. That's what we want. But how do we get there? You've got to see the person. You've got to value the person individually. Sir Alex Ferguson, he was well known for knowing everyone at, at Manchester United from, you know, the guy who was, who was cleaning the locker rooms to the people in the, um, in, in the, the cafeteria, he knew, he knew them, he knew their families, he, he knew when their kids' birthdays were, he cared about people. So no wonder he was able to create this, this winning environment. You know, he, he, he went above and beyond. Yeah, he was hard, hard man, no doubt about that. But he, he also, he had that humanity and he cared. So I just think you can't get away from genuine care and not, not fake care, not David Brent from the office style, you know, care. I mean, genuine, you know, what, what is it about this person? What can I understand about this person? What makes this person tick? What does this person need? You know, you get all that stuff right. And I think everything else flows from it personally, you know, and that, and that seems to be something that comes through. And I'm sure you know that. What, what should I read? What do you recommend I read besides your book when it comes out? <laughs> oh God. Uh, what would I recommend you read? Look, I, some of my favorite books, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. You know, that's the Stoicism uh, book. I don't think you can, you, I think The Power and Now by Eckhart Tolle is really amazing. If you want to, un, you know, understand how to relate to your, um, to your thoughts a bit differently and understand that, that, you know, the thoughts or the thinker in your head is not who you are. So who are you? Big question. And then uh, I'm currently reading um, The Legend of Bagger Vance. And yeah, yeah. And so forget the movie, okay? Ruined by Hollywood, by all accounts. The, but the book is amazing. So it's it's based on the Bhagavad Gita, and you know it's all this. It's all the big questions about you know who we are, and and um, it, it uses golf as the as the great game where you 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 know you're battling yourself to compete with 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 others, and that is a a really um, a, a moving book for me. So that, those would be three obstacles the way power now and the legend of Bhagavans, but don't watch the film. So who are you then? Oh, well, okay, JK, you, you really wanna know this one? Um, I'm you, we're all, so um, look, very quickly, let me just- I feel sorry for you then. <laughs> but you're not, you're not you're who you think you are either. <laughs> so I, I would say, look, I'll, very quickly, um, I'll let me let me just explain what I mean by that. So this is something I'm really really interested in now, and and I think that it's really quite profound. Is that okay? Everything we experience in life is falls into one one of four four categories: a thought, a feeling, a sensation, and a perception. Okay, so the thoughts we have that including about ourselves, our self image. That's a thought. 
It's not, it's not real. It's a thought. Okay. Thoughts come, thoughts go. Feelings, emotions. Okay. Okay. I feel sad. I feel happy. Perceptions. What I see, what I see of the world, um, sensations being pinched. Okay. That's all we experience is, is one of those four things, but all of them come and go. All of them come and go. Has any thought ever stayed with you, JK? No. Has any, has any feeling ever, you know, all of these things come and go, right? When we fall asleep at night, the world disappears, everything like that. But there is one element of our experience that is always there. And that is what we call I. Now, I is nothing other than the awareness that notices the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations and the perceptions. But when we say I, most of us, what we're actually referring to is, is a cluster of thoughts and, and feelings that we have about ourselves is self-image. Um, but actually, the I is, is nothing more than than awareness, you know, pure awareness. It has no objective quality. It isn't a thing. It has no objective quality. You can't point at, OK, where where is this awareness? But it is it's the one ever present element of our experience. And so, OK, if it's the one ever present element of our experience, the only thing that does not come and go, that has to be who we are because everything else comes and goes. If you, if you strip things back, it has to be that. And because it has no objective qualities apart from being aware and being itself, that means you know, it, it, it doesn't have individual qualities. And the implication is therefore, and I hate to be too spiritual, people will be going, this is ridiculous now, but the, 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 the implication of that is that the being that I share is the same as the being that you share is the same as the being that anyone shares. And this is known as sort of non-duality. This is what Johnny Wilkins is into. This is what Buddhism points to, is that, you know, that the, the I that we all think we are is not, that's the small self. And then the real I is the awareness. And it's, it's, it's the awareness that we all share. I think that's um, really profound, Matt. I love it, actually, because it's got me thinking. And while you were explaining, I sort of thought, well, if that's the case, then what Michael Jones said to me um, which changed my life was JK, you've got a good heart. So if I've got all those other things going around all the time, my, my real belief is that I've got a good heart and that is yeah. my being, you know, yeah, yeah, as long yeah, as I keep sure. anchoring back to that, then I can. Yeah. 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 Do you know, things I should do. Absolutely. You know, like it's again, to come back to the baby analogy, right? Like a baby net doesn't judge itself about, you know, baby just is and is lovable for just being. And that's in at our core. That's what we are. It's just as the ego develops and we start, I need this. I need that. I so I need to, I need fixing. I need to fix myself, you know, which, you know, as you know, I'm, I don't, I think it's more about acceptance rather than, than fixing or self-esteem, even, you know, this judging ourselves. No, no, it's it, this, if you can get in touch with that innate part of us, that being part of us, then, then, you know, that's, that's really that's where the value, I think, really is. That's the spiritual. Now, I don't talk. want you. No, that was awesome. I don't. Uh, now, I don't want you to think that I'd ever be as good as you. But who should I interview next? And I won't steal well, anyone. <laughs> listen, listen. I, I would say, I would say, try Johnny Wilkinson. Um, cool. Yeah, try Johnny. Um, and because the stuff I've just spoken about just now, um, he explains it beautifully, you know, you know, to, to take the example of, of pressure, right? So very last, last quick story, JK, right? So he, he and Clive Woodward have a very different view of pressure. So Clive's like pressure, performing under pressure, da, 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 da. And Johnny's like, no, pressure only exists up here. 
okay and now you'll know this from playing sport okay why, why do why do we all play sport why do we love sport like when i'm playing tennis i love 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 it because i'm lost in it i i am all, all the other stuff all the, the the yesterday and tomorrow and everything goes i'm there i'm present and you know when someone chokes when someone has the yips you know what what's going on they're becoming self-conscious they're become it's you know it's it's this question as he would say you you might say what if this goes wrong for me but then you can even slim that down and go what about me so it's that me again um but you know we play sport to when people go and flow you know when you were at your best were you thinking much no, no. like you would no you just like you're just flying right it's it's instinctive and that's that's where we, we play spot. And Johnny, you know, explains this beautifully. And he says when he kicked that winning drop goal in 2003, he says, it, you know, it, his sense of self went. It was just a knowing of it. He just was observing the whole time. Ball hit his hand, felt his leg go back, kicked the ball. It went over. And it was only a second or two after the ball went over. He did this little skip because he had been there to he said he, he wasn't there to witness it. Oh, sorry, he wasn't there. It wasn't him doing it. It was it was a knowing of it. And that sent him off on this fantastic journey. So, yeah, I, I would really recommend Johnny. And first, have a listen to the one I did with him because he explains it probably better than me. But he is he's fascinating on, on this kind of stuff that I've touched on at the end. Well, mate, I'm never going to be as good as you. Oh, please, uh, stop it, stop it. Tonight was, thank you, man. That was awesome. I loved it. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for getting up early and putting your shirt on. And then having a shower as well. I've got really lax. I want to ask you whether you put your pants on. We were hard. <laughs> Listen, you don't want to see what's down there, JK. Listen, no, thank, thank you, JK. You know, like I said, it's a real, it's a real privilege, and and the work you do is amazing. And the, um, you know, like I said, I, I'm always quoting your stuff. I'm always thinking, turn your computer off. You know, I'm even telling it to myself. Speaking to Dr. Fiona Crichton about the the dose hormones that's been fantastic for me you're both going in my book just so you know uh, i hope i hope you'll give me your approval and you know that that's I think I already have it. I want, want yeah. to say next time i see you you're going to pay me a pint with that one. Yeah, that's it that's a pint i can handle it's the others i'm worried about um so and like i said that little that little boy who watched you play would be thrilled that that I'm sitting here and that we've got to talk, you know, and I consider you a friend on the other side of the world. And that's to me is it's a really beautiful thing. And 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 I I want to reflect on that and and just recognize that how how wonderful and lovely and cool that is. So to be here talking about subject like this with you is hey, JK, life doesn't get much better than this. Exactly. That's what I think. And I think to be enlightened by some of the stuff that you learned and the way you think has been really good for me because I love when I learn new things, get challenged a wee bit. So thank you, my friend. Thank you for, for your time. It's been a pleasure. And I feel the same. We haven't met, but I also, also when I see you, I smile and we laugh. And I think that's a really special relationship that, uh, that probably COVID brought to us because we probably, you know, um, we're probably getting way, but way more relaxed in this sort of online environment, but still you owe me a pint. So I I'll do. be coming to get it as soon as they either get a vaccine or I don't know what Listen. I don't know when it'll be, but it will be. Wimbledon. 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 That's it. I've said. Listen, when Wimbledon's back on, assuming that the BBC still want me there, 
I'll we'll have a pint in one of the fancy bars at Wimbledon. I'll take you around all the commentary boxes, introduce you to Sue Barker, Boris Becker, if he's still there. It'll be great. Don't be I have pleasure. to get champagne and, and strawberries, though? Yeah, listen, that's what, the, that's what the fancy people do, JK. But you're going to be bringing a certain a, a sense of, a, a sense of uh, down-to-earthness, to much-needed down-to-earthness to the crowd at Wimbledon. So we'll, and then we'll I'll have a story to tell. I went to Wimbledon and I had a pie and a pie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be an absolute privilege. See you soon, my friend. Cheers, JK. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Minded. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe. This podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts, so make sure you do that. I don't need to tell you how, and then you'll get my new episode straight away. And if you can leave a review, tell everyone you know about it, it'd be awesome. If you could help spread the word about the show, thanks. But also, I'd love to get your feedback. You know, I'm new to this, I want to get better and I want to know what you want to know about mental well-being. So please reach out to us and thanks and I'll see you all soon.